reminds me a little bit of, of uh, you know, when I was playing in the high school tennis state championships and, you know, we uh, we used to have our parents, you know, betting each other money on who would win that. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. So so have have the skills translated to pickleball? Yeah. I mean, so it took a while to figure out the actual game because there are some things that translate over from tennis and some things that very much do not. You gotta stay very low. You gotta you gotta hit soft a lot and keep the ball close to the net. Which in tennis you're usually trying to hit deep and usually right. just trying to close the net. In pickleball you can't close the net. There's the kitchen. Having dabbled just a tiny bit but never really played any serious pickleball, I have no idea half the terms that you're talking about. I certainly don't know what the kitchen is. <laughs> the kitchen is the uh, the area closest to the net that you're not allowed to go in unless the ball yeah. has already bounced. Okay. So you can't be sitting up there like picking picking off balls and putting them away. You got to stay behind that line. So you, now that you've uh, moved recently to Florida, how is the pickleball scene there thriving? And and uh, is your is is your governor attempting to obscure some of the history of pickleball and uh, re- rewrite the history <laughs> of it? Yeah, he's uh, he's been shipping off a few of us to Martha's Vineyard if he sees us <laughs> playing in a style he doesn't like. Gamble on, fellas, gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by a guest co-host, the man who originally brought me into the US Bets family five years ago, one of the founders of this site and an online gambling industry insider for the last 20 years or so, Adam Small. Uh, this week on the show, we'll talk about Iowa State's starting quarterback and his parents caught up in a sports betting scandal. We'll pour one out for FoxBet. Uh, We'll discuss revenue trends in Colorado and Nevada, and I will have a chat with the sportsbook consigliere himself, Dave Sharapan, ahead of his appearance next week at Bet Bash. Uh, But first, Adam, great to have you on the pod. Thanks for filling in while Jeff Edelstein is off drinking daiquiris on a remote island. I can't believe I'm in this role. I mean, I've been on here as a guest like five or six times, however many times. I think think it's more than that. I think you may be at seven. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Well, I've had a good number of guest appearances. And um, I I did actually used to host the Pocket Fives podcast Hmm. back in the day. Pocket, speaking of pouring one out, right? Um, But uh, (laughs) yeah, I was was one of the original co-hosts of that starting at the beginning of 2006. So I do have a little podcast hosting experience, but it has been a minute. So pretty fun to be on here as your guest host. Uh, obviously, I listen just about every week to this show. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of it. Love uh, love being on. Love listening to it. Uh, love all the guests we get on here. So um, pretty cool to be able to cap that off by being the co-host one day. So thanks a lot. Let's uh, let's get to the news. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We've gotten a flood of new details this week on Iowa and Iowa State student-athletes betting on sports with the biggest headlines surrounding Hunter Deckers, the starting quarterback for Iowa State, 
who isn't merely accused of violating NCAA gambling rules. He's actually facing criminal charges for tampering with the state of Iowa's investigation into his gambling. Uh, and he's not the only one. Uh, teammate Dodge Souser and star wrestler Paniro Johnson were also charged, and some Iowa baseball players have been charged too. Also implicated is Yoma Uwazurike, the Broncos player who got suspended last week for betting on the NFL. He played college football at Iowa State and is alleged to have bet while he was there as well. Uh, One common theme on some of these is the athlete's parents placing the bets for them. Uh, That's the case with Deckers. And his lawyer issued a statement saying Deckers is not guilty because essentially everyone bets on sports and lots of people share online accounts questionable legal stance to take. Uh, So what if it's against the rules? Everyone else does it. Why not us? One common thread on a lot of these charges is players betting on their own games, something you would think they would know they aren't allowed to do. Adam, let me get your reaction to this story. Is this actually a bigger scandal than all the NFL betting suspensions we've been reporting on? Well, first of all, I just want to say that the entire time you were talking there, I'm just shaking my head because it's just so <laughs> unbelievable that people could be so stupid with so little to gain. Right. Uh, but uh, and particularly the parents, like how are the parents in on this and like, you know, helping their kids get around uh, age, you know, age limits and mm-hmm. regulations and all It's just it's just so dumb. Like, it's not even like they were trying to win money. They're just, like, goofing around and gambling. Um, I think this is one of these classic cases of the cover-up is worse than the crime. Mm. Like, the crime also sucks in this case, and it's obviously bad for college sports and bad for the industry. But, you know, we, we basically know what happens when athletes bet on their sports, right? They get suspended or banned, uh, and and, you know— there's sort of a, a standard set of punishments, and that was, you know, going to happen to to Deckards if he got caught and to these other players. Uh, but the fact that uh, the, the fact that he tried to cover it up and that they, you know, got caught trying to like, you know, tamper with the investigations, you say, and all that, right. um, is going to get him in some very real legal trouble. And some of these other guys, I mean, it sure looks like it's going to. I don't think that. Usually, if you're you know gambling and messing around, that you end up in a in a criminal trial, and that looks like that's going to happen now. So that that's really uh, that's really bad, and certainly uh, hopefully a big warning sign to all these people that are thinking about doing this. Just like don't 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 like don't go bet on your sports, and then don't go like cover it up and like tamper with investigations later, and all these things that you obviously shouldn't do. Um, I do, I do want to say that it's important to note that uh, this stuff happened a couple of years ago, right? And obviously, that doesn't make it any better by any means. And there's a whole other you know, can of worms to open around, like why are we finding out now? Why, why you know he started all of last season and so on, but. Uh, I think it's important to note that a lot has come out since then. We've had uh, a, a number of cases that have come out about players getting punished for gambling. And I really hope and believe that this stuff's going to start to dwindle as it becomes a more prominent issue and people realize that, yes, I am going to get caught if I do this. Yes, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble and it's dumb and I really shouldn't because, uh, you know, being a starting quarterback for a D1 college team is better than like gambling a little bit. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point about the timing of when the betting allegedly took place and when we're finding out about it, because it's mostly seems like it's focused on the 2021 season when Deckers was the backup quarterback. And thus, you can kind of 
uh, a little more excuse a that 2021 people were just a little more ignorant ignorant about the betting rules a lot more ignorant than they should be now going forward um but and he wasn't necessarily getting in the game so it seems a little less uh, egregious but as you sort of alluded to there um then he became a starter the next year if anyone knew that there was an investigation already going into him betting um, but they didn't speak up until after he had been a starter for a whole year. That seems kind of problematic in retrospect. We don't know when when anyone knew that he was uh, being investigated for this, but it's just, yeah, the timeline of things is interesting, and the fact that it's all spilling out now, we're getting all these details on all these players, I, and I guess it's just coming out now because there are these criminal charges involved, so, so stuff is getting unsealed, and you're right that it's just really sad and crazy that it would get this far that you would actually be putting yourself in criminal jeopardy over, yeah. you know, wanting to place a few casual sports or more than a few, but uh, whatever the casual sports bets, the, the, the degree to which some of these guys may be ruining their lives is pretty striking. Uh, it's insanity. I mean, they were clearly, all these guys were betting a lot. They were making all kinds of bets and that, that in itself is not necessarily problematic. I, I know a lot of people that, you know, or betting every week. It didn't look like they were betting huge amounts or anything right. like that in, uh, on an individual basis. But um, yeah, they, they clearly, they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing. They were doing it frequently and probably pretty casually. And, and then, you know, probably when he got into a higher profile situation uh, where he was a starting quarterback was probably kind of coincided a bit with when he started getting investigated. And that's when he started trying to cover it up or whatever. Yeah. And I can also see that, you know, given that it wasn't accounts uh, that were in the names of the players, at least in some cases that maybe it took some time to investigate. Um, mm-hmm. you, you certainly you wouldn't want to like bench a guy or like kick him off a team for something that, that you're not even sure that he was involved in. So I, I do get that it took some time, but uh, it is, it, it did just kind of catch my eye when I read that story, like, wow, this stuff happened in 2021 then the guy became the starter for a whole season right. and and now just now it's all coming out and like oh criminal criminal investigation interesting yeah. so uh yeah I, I think it's i think it's really sad i think it's it's unfortunate that this stuff keeps coming out about the industry right now because right. Uh, i say about the industry it's not really about the industry it's about people's behavior mm-hmm. but i know that you know given all the media narratives that are out there that you know there's there's a concern about what kind of narrative this kind of thing takes on just to, from an industry perspective uh I, I think the narrative that i would put out there is uh we're better at catching this stuff now than yes. we were before uh clearly better at catching it i'm not the first person to say that and that's why these things keep coming out because uh the books are you know required to report this stuff uh, which never would have happened in the in the offshore days, or you know the, the offshore days, which are still the days in a lot of states. Right. Um, so I mean, I, I think that's a real positive. But I know also that when this stuff comes out, what probably the average person thinks is, oh God, we legalized sports betting and now people are gambling. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a matter of trying to take over the narrative and frame it as look at what regulation can do. It's a good thing, but uh, people who aren't quite as in the know are going to jump to a more negative conclusion and and just the the other thing i just want to say on this and you touched on the 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 parents um they have to stand up to their kids a little bit you know like parents having a sports betting account and letting their kids use it 
that is an extremely common thing. I, I, I've witnessed it, uh, you know, in low stakes kind of stuff. Uh, people who, you know, their teenage kids are playing around with doing some hundred to one parlays on dad's account or whatever. If your kid is a scholarship athlete, yeah, you, you just have to, you know, stand up to them and say, no, sorry, no more betting. I'm not supporting this. It's not worth <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Going forward, hopefully that lesson sinks in. I, I would imagine more people will now be aware that uh, particularly that, that just because someone else is placing the bets for you doesn't mean you won't get caught. I, I think, you know, they're definitely getting more sophisticated at tracking this stuff. And I, I think that's maybe the big takeaway for a lot of people here is, oh, as long as it's not in my name, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want. Now people are learning both NFL and college. Uh, nope, you, you can get caught uh, betting through someone else's a, a account as well. Yeah, and and one other thing that I would note that I think is is really important. I can't remember which of the uh, players that that made this bet, but there was at least one bet that looked genuinely problematic that was I, made. I know exactly well, what you're talking about. It's the uh, Isaiah Rogers whose bets uh, had mostly been twenty five and fifty dollars, and then he did one single thousand dollar bet on a teammate's rushing prop. Is that the one you're thinking of? Uh, it's not, but uh, oh. that also sounds. <laughs> Sounds terrible. Okay. Uh, worse than what I'm saying, actually. But um, the one that I that caught my eye, um, and maybe I read a different story about it, was that uh, one of the players bet the under on one of their own games that oh, I believe okay. he was playing in. It was under 45, and the total ended up being 44. And wow. his team won by 10 points. And, I mean, it, it's almost a perfect situation to highlight why this kind of bet's problematic because yeah. – you could see a situation where a player could have influence over like if the team's up by 10 and they've got a fourth down and it's like 45 yards out or whatever. And you're trying to decide, are we going to go for it to run more clock or, or, you know, are we going to kick a field goal here and try to pad the lead a little bit? Um, I mean, you know, maybe it's unlikely. It's unlikely that this would happen, but like where a player might have a, a very minor voice in, you know, what happens there. And uh, even if they don't, even if the player has no voice in it, like why, why allow that perception to possibly exist? Yeah. So, I mean, just like the outcome that happened there is suspicious in itself. And I, I certainly, I don't believe in the least that anything was influenced by anything, you know, that this player did or anything like that. But I'm just saying it, it looks suspicious. It looks suspicious when, the, when a player bets the under, the team ends up one point under that. <laughs> I mean, why why allow those questions to happen at all? Yeah, for, for sure. That's the, the, the big thing here is like you can argue all you want about whether it's right to prevent college athletes from being able to bet on any sports ever and some of the rules and this and that. But one thing across the board you cannot bet on games that you're involved in. It's just, uh, it's that, that has to stop because it's, it's never, it's, it, there's just so much potential for a, a bad look there. So uh, yeah, I hadn't seen that detail. That one, that one is kind of troubling. Even if there was nothing nefarious at play, it, it looks bad to have made that bet and <laughs> that score to end up where it did. It's just not worth it for anybody. You know, it's not worth it for anybody involved to yeah. have those possible perceptions. And, um, you know, it's just like you, you have to have like and regulations provide for this, even if player behavior hasn't entirely at this point. You just got to have no appearance of impropriety on this kind of thing it's got to be clear there's an arm's length between anyone that's betting and anyone that affects the outcome of the games right uh, it's, it's really simple and 
hopefully, you know, this is something that happened two years ago and wouldn't happen now, but it just, it seems like these kinds of things are going to be still coming out for a while. And it, it, I know that the league and the NCAA and so on want to clean it up and are working on cleaning it up. But uh, hopefully these kinds of incidents make them work that much harder. Yeah. All right. Our next story is one of the least surprising news stories in the history of the podcast, <laughs> although it would have seemed unlikely to most people about four years ago. Uh, Foxbet, which launched in May 2019, is being phased out state by state over the course of this month uh, here in Pennsylvania, where I live. It's already gone. Uh, it, it's part of the same site as Poker Stars, so I can still play poker but I can't place bets through that app anymore. Uh, Foxbet since 2020 has been owned by Flutter, which also runs FanDuel. And whereas FanDuel is the most successful sports book out there in the U.S. with a, about 50% of the national market share, Foxbet has an estimated 0.2%. Uh, so <laughs> shutting down Foxbet has felt inevitable for a long time. I had high hopes early. I, I figured getting publicity on every Fox sports show would make this a major site, but it just never gained any traction. Adam, I'm not sure if you started a Foxbet account at any point and are shedding any tears, but uh, what are your small picture thoughts on this closure and big picture thoughts on the rapidly advancing sportsbook consolidation trend? Yeah, I mean, well, yes, I did have a Foxbet account. Okay. Uh, no, I'm not shedding any tears. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, Rupert Murdoch is going to be fine after all this. <laughs> you but, think? All right. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, yeah, it seemed inevitable for a long time. Um, there were there were some early concerns with Foxbet, but I think they did have a chance. And I think there are a bunch of narratives that are wrong about this whole thing. The uh, the most obvious one to me is the narrative that you know a, a legacy media company just isn't well equipped to uh, you know to take on this space. I don't know that that's true. Mm. I think that there are challenges. Uh, there's the the innovation. Well, what was, there's a book called The Innovator's Dilemma that gets into this a bit, um, where it, it's challenging for um, for an existing company to you know take on newcomers that are doing something different because the existing company has more to lose if they, you know, move off their existing positions. And right. there's a whole concept called counter positioning around this in business that, um, you know, does make it challenging for, you know, for example, for Yahoo in 2015 or whatever to take on FanDuel and DraftKings and Daily Fantasy because Yahoo was doing so much else and had so many other constraints around their business. Um, I think, you know, there is an argument about that. And, and you know, Bally certainly hasn't done very well with their sports books so far. But um, that being said, with Foxbet, there's one predominant issue. And the predominant issue was they got acquired by you know, Flutter. Right. And when that happened, uh, Flutter clearly was making the decision to uh, pour the resources into FanDuel and not into Foxbet uh, as their, you know, primary U.S. sports book. And uh, their Flutter's acquisition of Stars Group, uh, I'm sure that, you know, people in the U.S., like a U.S.-centric audience might think it had to do a lot with Foxbet or, you know, uh, any other particular brands, but you know, Stars Group is a big international company that owned a lot of stuff. And uh, Poker Stars at the time was the biggest poker site in the world. I believe right. it's second now, but they've got a long history in that space. And uh, and there were a number of other assets uh, in that in that company. Uh, so to to suggest it had anything to do with Foxbet is is probably just a US centric viewpoint. I think uh they got brought in FanDuel was the main sports book. Uh 
On top of that, there was a, a legal issue, a litigation issue, I guess I should say, that's, I believe, still going on to an extent between uh, Fox and uh, Flutter over ownership of uh, ownership of FanDuel, I think. Uh, it's And that's an additional complication that has created tension there. I think it was just, it was very likely that it was always, that it was always going to end this way. You saw Fox, but just never entered into very many states. Uh, they were in, I believe, four states. Is that correct, Eric? At that the end? that sounds think? right. It definitely was not many. Yeah. Colorado, Michigan, uh, New York, and Pen- or I'm sorry, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Right. And uh, yeah, they just, they just never got off the ground. That's the bottom line. Uh, and and they were never going to because they hadn't entered any new states since uh, Michigan had come on at the beginning right. of 2021. So, right. um, yes, this was inevitable. Uh, they, I still was seeing those Super 6 ads all the time on TV last football season. But in terms of the actual sports book, it just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a ton to add, except that I, I will personally miss Fox Bet a little as one of my outs uh, because – Sometimes their odds were way different from everyone else's, and and they were always so slow to adjust futures coming out of a weekend. Um, I don't know mm. if they just all took Sunday nights off and started late on Mondays or what, but like the year <laughs> the year Bryce Harper won MVP 2021, um, it was late in the season. He was coming on. Um, he'd had a big weekend. All the other books dropped him to like 400 plus 400 or so on Sunday night. And I looked on Fox bet Monday morning and he was still plus a thousand. So I got a, I got a nice bet down um, little spots like that. I, I will miss having them around, but uh, yeah, th- this has been coming for a couple of years. Uh, like you said, really since, uh, since flutter acquired them and decided all the resources were going into FanDuel. Um, the, the, the sports book brand, failed to catch on anywhere really at all. Um, and it didn't help that, like you said, it was only in a handful of States and it stopped. They stopped adding States a few years ago. Uh, and I also just saw um, that it was Fox bet was contributing an overall loss in EBITDA or however you pronounce that acronym, uh, an overall loss for Flutter in in that regard. So just just the cost to run it was more than the revenue it was producing. So this was a a total no brainer decision to shut it down. But you do you do make a good point, Eric. And I think it's something that maybe um, people outside of a state like Pennsylvania might not be aware of that uh, when you have fairly limited options like you do in Pennsylvania for, you know, just because of the limitations on the number of licenses, mm-hmm. uh, it, it may be a little bit more painful for the the price conscious consumer that wants to shop around on lines and stuff like that. Every right. time you lose a book, you lose, you know, an opportunity to find a better line. Um, and, and clearly you were able to do that with Foxbet sometimes. So it was providing some value to you as a right. consumer. But um, I think, for example, in New Jersey, I don't think anyone's going to miss it at all. They've got like, right. you know, 3000 options there or whatever. Right. And, uh, and and even in Pennsylvania, <laughs> we do have plenty. I just I'm not signed up for them all. I'm like I've been satisfied with like four or so accounts at a time out of the 10 or 12 I could potentially have in Pennsylvania. Um, but I'm sure I'll I'll add one now, probably just to have a, enough choice to go around. But yeah, there there are certainly other states that you only have two or three options. And if one of them goes away, that is a massive difference. 
Yeah. And and you were asking also about sort of my bigger picture thoughts. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I'll just keep that part brief. I really don't think this is part of that. I, I like I know there is consolidation going on, fanatics and, and points bet, and uh, you know a lot of talk about Rush Street all the time, which would affect you guys in Pennsylvania as well. Uh, I, and I and I hear all that, and that is real, and uh, and there will be more consolidation, but. I think in this case, this is more like the consolidation already happened a couple of years ago, and this is just kind of like that that final last gasp. Right. Okay. Well, I will be talking more about the consolidation trend with uh, Dave Sharapan coming up, so that's uh, that's what's known in the business as a tease. And uh, we uh, move <laughs> on to rounding out the news uh, section with some revenue talk. Um, but uh, it's not the usual focus on New York or New Jersey setting some kind of record. This week, we'll look at the latest numbers out of Colorado and Nevada because there's a through line. Um, I'll read the headlines of two of our stories written by our numbers guru, Chris Altruda. One headline, Golden Knights Cup Run Puts Drag on Nevada Sportsbook Revenue for June. And the other headline, Nuggets NBA Title Run Sends Colorado Retail Sportsbooks Reeling. Um, In Colorado... The sportsbook hold in May was just 3%, and on basketball betting specifically, the customers finished $10.8 million ahead of the books. In Nevada, the hold was just under 2%, and the books lost $6.6 million on hockey. To some extent, this is good long-term for the industry. You know, bettors need to win every once in a while, or they won't remain bettors. Um, Still, this can present problems for sportsbooks that aren't in many states. For example... Adam, if your beloved Tennessee Titans were to win the Super Bowl, a tiny <laughs> si- that that chuckle from you uh, is, uh, almost suggests that it's not a it's not a likelihood. But uh, so if that were to happen, <laughs> a uh, a tiny single state book like Action Two Four Seven might go out of business. Um, your thoughts on the the local fans in Colorado and Vegas beating the house for a change? Well, first of all, if, if Action 247 went out of business, uh, you know, I'd probably shed even fewer tears than I shed for the <laughs> Fox bet. Right. But yeah, uh, no, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, this stuff happens and everybody knows, everybody knows that, uh, you know, when you have a local team win a big result in, a, you know, a major high profile uh, contest that, you know, it's probably going to be bad for the books in that local environment. So uh, it's no surprise that, you know, when the Nuggets, when the Nuggets won the NBA championship, that it hurt the books in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And it's no surprise that Nevada gets hurt when, uh, when the Golden Knights win it all. But I I just, I don't think that that's at all concerning in, you know, in the real world. Uh, I remember I was talking to somebody back in January or so, and, and, you know, you remember Ohio had just launched their sports betting industry January 1st at 1201. How could we forget? Right. (laughs) And, uh, and they were telling me uh, it was it was someone whose book had kind of penetrated Ohio a little bit more than some other states. And and they were telling me that uh, the best outcome for them would be that the Bengals keep winning and get all the way to the Super Bowl and then lose because uh, all the people just kind of bet more and more each each round further into the playoffs. Right. And they wanted to keep them engaged and excited and then, you know, hopefully get all their money in the, in the Super Bowl. Uh, and, and I don't mean to sound like nefarious. It's just, you know, they, they think about the outcomes that are going to be the best outcomes for them. Sure. And uh, and I uh, I think that, you know, you can wish and hope for outcomes just like individual bettors do. But 
at the end of the day, these sports books do tons of volume. And yes, there can be outcomes that are particularly painful short term, but it's not it's not indicative of a broader problem for them. They they know how to avoid being over leveraged and they know how to, you know, do risk management and mitigation and so on. And this kind of stuff is expected and it's probably good publicity for them. And I'm not not uh, not shedding any tears for any of them either. Yeah, I think it's good publicity really for the whole industry to have these occasional headlines of sports books lose betters win. It's kind of good for everyone. And even just us as as journalists and a media outlet, it's like a nice change of pace from the from reading the same old, uh, you know, sports books crushing betters, which is usually the case most months. And and even the, these sports books that we're, uh, you know, shedding a tear for here. They still had winning months, just not on these individual sports in these individual states. But yeah, as long as your sports book is, uh, you know, spread across several states, you, you look at your overall company revenue, not your revenue in one state. I'm sure none of them are remotely concerned uh, about this. One thing that I remember people were predicting, you know, five years ago, just like immediately post by as like some of the states were starting to legalize. Um, people were predicting this, but I haven't really seen it anywhere, is the potential of getting worse odds in state on the local teams. Um, like, you know, in, in theory, uh FanDuel would have the Nuggets plus a thousand to win the title at the start of the playoffs right. uh, in all their states, but in Colorado they might put them at plus eight hundred because they figure people are going to bet on on them there without being price sensitive. That was like a potential approach that was on people's minds, but I haven't seen it come to pass anywhere. Um, yeah. And and I guess that's in part because of the the sportsbook competition. You know, if if FanDuel does give you plus eight hundred on the Nuggets in Colorado. But DraftKings and MGM and Caesars all have them at plus a thousand. Then, then FanDuel uh, is is going to be giving away a lot of handle on that market. Yeah, I mean, it is there. It is an inherent danger when you have these these like one sided markets, which you see the uh, the kind of very vocal sports betting pros and insider community talking about on on Twitter and the like. Sometimes just uh, this idea that when you have a, a market that you can only bet one way, like you can take a team to yes. win the championship, but you you can't like bet against them to win the championship or whatever. Right. And so you're not really able to like calculate a hold on those right. bets. And, uh, and there is some potential for, you know, bad odds to be given. I think that one way that we see this play out in real life, uh, that's a little different, but also similar is, you know, how the odds are always a little bit, uh, a little bit shorter than they should be on Tiger Woods to win a major or something like that. Right. Just not like a, not a, they know. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but it certainly was for a long time. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, something that people like to bet on, even right. though it's less likely than bettors might think. And uh, there are a number of examples of that that float around in various in various arenas. And uh, and or, you know, something like if you have the, the U.S. Open coming up and people want to bet on an American to win it or something like that. Um, so there is potential for this kind of stuff. But I think when you're talking state to state, most of these books are, are you know, leveraged and, and, you know, trading across all the different states that they operate in. So they don't need to worry about this as much. They just kind of uh, want to have the same odds everywhere and get the action that they're sort of trying to generate with the lines that they're putting out there. And, and just they're trying to get the lines right, especially on, you know, multi-sided markets. Um, and, and then, you know, when you have a, a local book or a book that's not operating as much, like you said, you know, you're not going to be competitive if you're putting a much worse line out there than all your competition. So 
it kind of, I think this is one of these situations where the market just kind of resolves the situation and you don't have to worry about that too much. But I mean, needless to say, there are going to be wipeout results for the books. It's going to happen sometimes. You're, right. you're going to have, whether it's because of something local, you know, maybe, you know, New York is doing 50% of the handle or whatever, and, and you get like the, the Yankees in the World Series or something like that, and they win. Uh, you're you're going to have results like this that wipe the books out. The Super Bowl can wipe the books out. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they take a ton of volume. They take a ton of volume on individual events, but also across all kinds of stuff. And in the end, their their business does okay. Yes, and, and when they do happen to get crushed, most of those bettors who crush them will eventually give most of that money, if not all of that money and more, back to them. So so long term, not a problem for any of these sports books. Right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. I now welcome to the show a man who I've never seen out of uniform. Uh, he's also a man I've never seen in the same uniform twice. Uh, he owns more sports jerseys and flat-brimmed caps than anyone I've ever met. He's a former bookmaker turned industry analyst and podcast host and just an all-around good guy. You may know him as the sportsbook consigliere. He is Dave Sharapan. Dave, welcome back to Gamble On. Hello, sir. Good to see you. Uh, you're back home, but we had the pleasure of uh, meeting up in Vegas for that fight. So it was good to see you in person. Someone asked me, he, uh, how many hats do I have? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. Give, me, give don't, us a ballpark. What's your best it's, estimate? It's too, it's too many. It's whatever number you think it is. It's over. <laughs> I have to get them organized before football season. We're getting everything organized before football season in content space, book space, life space. And the wife says, if the, if everything is not organized before uh, football season, I may be uh, headed to a plane of Philadelphia soon enough because <laughs> she's had enough of that. Well, speaking of Philadelphia, for those who uh, are listening but not uh, but not visualizing, uh, Dave is sporting a uh, old school powder blue Phillies hat just for me, and I do appreciate that. It's one of my favorites of all time. Um, growing up in Pittsburgh, the Phillies and the Pirates were battling back and forth all the time um, back in the 70s and then the Phillies kept going and had good teams in the eighties and uh, Pittsburgh did not. Pittsburgh had a lot of uh, drug trials and a lot of losing and a lot of things, but those spent a lot of time. And this, this uh, when they wear this logo and they bring it back, plus the way the Phillies did last year, I had a nice future on the Phillies to win the world series ah. that would have. Um, did did you manage to hedge a little bit heading into yes, the series? Okay. Course. good. Yes. All right. Yes. Good. Good. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so, so before I get into my questions, let's, let's get in the, a few quick plugs uh, for you. Cause you, you yeah. told me the other day when we saw each other in person that you're doing contract work for something like nine different yes. outlets. I can't let see. you plug all nine, but no. give me, give me, give me two or three places that people can see or hear you these days. So every day, daily Bostonian versus the book, me and Matt Peralt do a daily show. It's on a YouTube channel, the at symbol, and then Boston versus the book where, you know, we discuss the industry, we discuss games, everybody wants picks. We do that at the end of every show and things like that. But we do interviews. You were on it with us last week, previewing yeah. the fight, you know, the Crawford and Spence fight. So we do that every day. It's on live 1015 AM, 115 Pacific. And uh, that's Monday through Friday. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. You get the, either the podcast or whatever there. I'm on MLB Network. I 
my my title is an analyst slash contributor. Okay. I do shows on there once or twice a week throughout the whole year, but especially during baseball season. Cash Considerations is my personal one. And then every day I'm on Sports Grid and Sirius XM Radio doing in-game live. Um, that's channel 159 on Sirius. It's on Sports Grid TV and everywhere you get that streaming service. That's every day at 4 o'clock Pacific, 7 o'clock Eastern. And we'll see what happens during football. We might pick up a few more, Eric. <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to, but this, <laughs> this hustle is real. So yes. we're trying to stay busy. All right. Excellent stuff. So so the first thing I want to ask you about, uh, Dave, yes. uh, Bet Bash is coming up next week, uh, next Tuesday through Friday. You'll be there. You'll be on one of the panels. Mm-hmm. Tell me, how is this different from other industry events and conferences? And, and what are you most looking forward to next week? A lot of the industry conferences is a lot of people that maybe have positions, maybe are in positions that aren't directly working with sports books like they may have a title they may be working with them as a as a side benefit of what they're doing the bet bash conference is gamblers hardcore gamblers or up-and-coming gamblers that are trying to find their way to doing this for real now I don't know where to get this professional gambler's license thing. When you need a driver's license, you go to the DMV. Right. When you when you need a barber's license, you go to barber school. I don't know where you go to get a professional gambler's license. I've been in the books now since my Curacao days. I mean, this is going on 30 years. I have never met one that had proof of it. But there will be a lot of them at Bet Bash that okay. are professional gamblers. You meet like-minded people, maybe different-minded people, but everybody's usually laying 11 to 10 or getting EV bets or whatever you want to call it all the time. Right. It's a unique experience. Me, personally, what I'm looking forward to most is it's a home game for me, meaning everybody's coming to Vegas. And it's people that I know from years of either working with, working against, working alongside – have heard about, have had talks with, and everybody kind of lets their guard down for a couple days and just hangs out. The, the hanging out thing is is the best part for me. Um, the panel I'm on is called Sports Gambling Twitter, Can't We All Get Along? It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be fireworks. It's right. it's going to be um, between Darren Ravel's on it, Joey Kanish, Rob Pizzola, uh, Jeffrey Benson and myself with Sammy P moderating. It's all people that people know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much I'm going to say. I think right. they're going to be arguing <laughs> and say, so I'm just going to sit there and enjoy the show. The Billy Walters interview is the focus of the whole thing. Um, Spanky's going to talk to him one-on-one okay. as he promotes his new book. It should be entertaining. And then this sports gambling hall of fame that they came up with that I saw Literally, they're changing the side of the sports book at Circa to put this up there. So that will be something that will be left from it. But it's different. You won't hear people telling you about, you know, um, retention, customer acquisition, and all the buzzwords of the ecosystem right. that we hear about at a lot of these things. It's maybe some unpolished, raw, hardcore gamblers all talking the language. 
Yeah, definitely sounds much less buttoned up than a typical conference. And actually, from from watching the video highlights from last year, seems like there's a, a lot of partying mixed in uh, as well. I don't know if you plan to uh, indulge in, in the partying or because it's a home game and you, you get exposure to that whenever you need it anyway, if, if that's less up your alley. Yes, that's that's the benefit of being here. Now, this is year number 20 for us living here. I don't need to party anymore. I'm good. Like I, I, I like to hang out and and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But if if anyone needed a, a designated driver, that would be me. A lot of times, ah, I'm good. All right. I just right. I just like to observe. I don't like all the smoke and all the other things that come along with the partying. But I like the company, and um, that's that's what I'm looking forward to most. Okay. Uh, all right. So as we've already uh, noted uh, in discussing your hat, uh, you are or your many, many hats. Uh, you're a yes. huge baseball guy. Um, yes. And uh, your Pirates did take two out of three from my Phillies last weekend with every single game a nail biter. Um, odds are always uh, subject to slight change between yes. the, the time we're recording this Wednesday and when it posts on Thursday. But is there any team right now whose World Series odds you particularly like? Not pandering to the audience here. I mean this when I say it. Mm-hmm. It's so obvious, as at least what the odds are, that it's Atlanta and the Dodgers. The Braves and the Dodgers are in the NLCS. But last year, they said the same thing. Right. And there was a team in your neighborhood, the <laughs> Phillies, that with that rotation and that lineup, if they win that three-game series, they are live to get there. I think the same thing this year. I think the Phillies number is fair. I would like it to be even a little bit more, but I don't know if it's such a shoe in that it's Braves and Dodgers. Now, one of the two most likely is going to be there. Right. I don't know. The National League seems like there's a big drop off between those two and the the next team. Uh, The trade deadline saw the Mets blow their whole thing up and send Scherzer to Texas. Right. And Verlander to Houston. The American League, I think, is wide open. I am looking for the team that I think, other than those two, they can get in because the the odds now are completely adjusted between it's going to be Tampa and either Texas or Houston. That's the so now Baltimore would be a team that I, I think that you should take a serious look at, but no one that really watches baseball or bets baseball thinks that Baltimore can do it because of their pitching. They're not going to win a five game series, which is the second series with the pitching staff that they have. And they didn't go get an ace. So those are the two teams that it, you know, below the, the obvious choices that I think um, the, the going around and checking prices starts today for me. I waited until after the trade deadline. And then we kind of map out what their August schedule looked like. And all I need to do is be ready to to add to the position come September 1st. I saw Houston somewhere in the plus 700-ish range right mm-hmm. now. And it they just feel like the team, other than maybe the Braves, that you can most easily rely on getting through a couple rounds of the playoffs and heating up at the right time. And maybe I'm just scarred from last year's world series, but, <laughs> but, but they feel like that team that should be priced a little closer to the, to where the Braves and Dodgers are and, and aren't. Correct. And, and, and I think you're thinking, right. That was the team that I had to hedge with last year. So I'm a little bit like I have a soft spot for, because a lot of baseball fans, like my kids, they can't even stand the Astros because they cheated. They right. they won't get over that. It's done. 
you have to let that go. Houston is the team for me as well. If it's if if I have to pick one of those top three, it's Houston until proven otherwise. And them getting Verlander back only helps that case. You know, we saw Framber just pitch a, a no hitter yeah. this week. Like it was, they're 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 shaping into form. And I feel like Texas pushed all in. The winner of that division has to have that buy. Whoever gets that buy will be the favorite to come out of the American League. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back to some industry talk. Um, yes. The uh, the consolidation of the online sports books is, is heating up. Um, the points bet brand is going to be going away. Fox bet is getting folded. Playup had money problems and got shut down. Do you think we're eventually headed for just five or six big name books and, and none of the smaller ones survive in the mobile space? And And if so, how far off is that? Well, it's going to happen really fast. This is this is one of those things that, like, <clears throat> since I had the stroke two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now, my vision has been clear just in life, but, like, it's been really clear since then. And I feel like I'm having deja vu from my days when I was offshore. I was mm-hmm. offshore in 97, 98, and saw what started to happen there when I left and went back home. It started to happen right away. And people had longer shelf life because there was no competition. Now the legal sports book scene is, I feel like it's repeating itself. I feel like I'm seeing it all over again in a crystal ball going, this is never going to last. This is never going to last. This is never going to last. And they're going to have, you put the number at five or six, Mm -hmm. it's FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, Caesars. And then I don't know who the fifth would be. It's those four are going to be left standing. I guess there's a lot of momentum for for fanatics, people believing in them, even though they haven't really done it yet, that that people expecting them to be a player. I don't know if that's if if their core business is the sports book mm-hmm. and the laying the 110 or it's the Trojan horse into getting the I casino on people's phone. OK, you have a shot at making it. Because those four there have what seems like an endless amount of money. What's happening in the in the space is they're contracting their marketing money budgets as well. Right. But it's really hard for that other party. And I mean, I have dear friends that work at some of these places like WinBet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying their best. They're offering a unique price offering or products or, you know, markets in the sports book. But if a tree falls in a forest, and no one's there to hear it. Does any does it make a sound? That's that's right. Mm-hmm. If you keep putting this stuff out there and nobody bets with you, you can't make it. So I don't want to say like it's five years away because I thought five years ago it was ten years away, mm-hmm. where it was all like it had would have a ten year run. I haven't seen anything that's going to change that. It might be within five years. It might be faster the way things are going. We're seeing stories about, you know, everybody's gambling, including players and college kids and coaches and associates of coaches and things like that. It may get the stigma on it faster Hmm. than it had years ago. And then all of them will pull back and there might, that might happen within three years. So, it's a really hard 
it's a really hard thing to put a timetable on it, but it's going to happen. It's inevitable. How, how much do you think uh, online casino legalization spread if and when that happens, which we kind of keep waiting for more states, but it seems like we're close to a tipping point. How much would that sort of open it up and make it possible for a lot more companies to stay in business and be profitable if if New York launched iCasino, if Illinois launched iCasino, if it was in enough states for there to be a lot of money in that? I think um, it would extend it would extend that life, yes, of the company, but the pushback from the problem gambling stuff mm. and those different groups, and then what are you doing on your phone? Why I'm gambling? Well, why are you doing that? Just within your own personal circle, it might push it. Like bringing sports betting legalization is supposed to bring it into the light, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now the iCasino will push people back into that isolated thing on their phone, which might lead to problems because it's way too easy. At least now we have to get in our car, physically go to a casino, put out the money to to, to gamble with. When you can do all of that very simply in three minutes and, and you're live sitting at a table or you're live at a dice table or you're live playing slots – all within your phone. I don't know if that's the best thing for, for, for people, for, Mm. for our, our society. And there might be that kind of stigma or pushback that would delay it or turn it back to, all right, great. Now you did that. Now what? And and, and you might not be making all the money that you thought you were going to be making. Yeah, that that's a great point because I live in Pennsylvania where both are legal sports betting and I casino and I poker as well. And you're sort of around a random person who doesn't really follow this industry at all. Like we do, you start placing a sports bet on your phone. They know about that at this point. They know you can go on FanDuel and DraftKings and all that and place a bet. You show them that you can play a slot on your phone or a blackjack game on your phone. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. You can do that. That's legal. A lot of people, it, it, is that next level of uh, being eye-opening to the possibilities? Well, you know, you have a family. I have a family. There's not a person in my house. I'm one of five, actually seven, that would place a sports bet. That's Mm -hmm. the percentage, right? The percentage is probably 10 to 15, a high of 20% of the population bets, sports bets. Mm -hmm. 80% of people go to gamble in a casino or have been or right. would do it if they could go more or had the money to do it if they had the disposable income. So, and I bet it's probably even higher of people that have played games on their phone, right. some type of game, downloadable game, whatever. It's almost a hundred percent of the population. So now you open it up to everyone when you do the iCasino. So all they got to do is get the message out and, you know, people will maybe try it. I just don't know how long they will stay in it. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last topic here yep. for you, Dave. I want to get your take on the parlay craze. Um, <laughs> we recently had a guest on who thinks uh, it's it's not bad at all for churn or from a responsible gambling perspective, that it's mostly people doing fun $5, $10, $20 parlays that hardly ever win, but they're having a good time. They're not going to blow the mortgage money doing bets like that. Do you agree or or is it in fact problematic that people burn through their bankrolls, hardly ever win, and and as a result, quickly lose interest in sports betting? 
option number two yeah. for me. I think, okay. I mean, it's fun until you realize like, all right, I, what am I doing? I, I can be doing something else or I can, how do I get better at this? And then they educate themselves and they don't do them and they do straight bets or they just do two game parlays or something like that. A lot of guys in the industry will tell you it's predatory. It's mm-hmm. it's they're going after the, the the low hanging fruit, the newbies, and saying do parlays. They're great. They're fun. You can win big. Your chances of winning are so slim. A lot of times, good luck. And I think they're going to blow people out. They're going to the, the the books that are pushing them. It's very hard to maintain that customer. You just it, it should be enough to just take the bets, to then direct the bets, to push them to parlays. Every book in the world wants more parlay players. You know why? It increases the hold without increasing the work. You just have to take the bets. It's a a great part of the business for the book. The books do want you to do parlays. And if you do parlays, do it like you said with option A. Have fun. Keep it small part of your bankroll. Now, there will be guys, and there are guys in the industry that have figured out how to circumvent limits, how to do correlated parlays. That's a whole discussion for another show. But it is possible to win that way. It takes a lot of work and a lot of money for the losses because you can't beat certain things. It just It's not something you will do right out of the gate. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a microcosm of, of everything in society that uh, there are people willing to sort of grind it out slowly, but the great majority want to get rich quick without putting in a lot of work. And that's not a recipe for success in sports betting. Absolutely (laughs) not. Right. All right. Great stuff. Always great talking to you, Dave. He is on Twitter, as long as it's still called Twitter or X or whatever you want to call (laughs) it these days, at SportsBKConsig. And uh, you, you heard all of his various ventures at the top of the interview. So definitely check him out on those shows. Dave, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. You got it, Eric. Thanks for having me, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And I'm sorry Jeff isn't around to hear this, uh, but we had an excellent week. Uh, Last week, uh, Jeff placed a bunch of NFL futures, so nothing to report there. But I went exclusively with boxing bets, and uh, what do you know? By sticking with a sport I actually know some things about, we did well. Uh, A few months ago, I bet on Terrence Crawford to beat Errol Spence at minus 112 odds. We won $100 when he absolutely dominated on Saturday night. Uh, Last week, I put $30 on the fight to end in a majority decision at plus 750. That lost. But I also took a $25 flyer on a knockdown anytime in the first four rounds at plus 1,600, and Crawford knocked Spence down in round too. So we got a huge $400 win there. On the undercard, I called the Santiago upset of Donaire at plus 130. We won $130, but I gave 100 bucks back, picking Cruz over Cabrera by KO in rounds one through six. Instead, Cruz won a decision. So overall for the week, 
We won $500 on all those boxing bets. Uh, so we're now down by $2,323. We also have $1,935 on hold in futures bets. And that leaves us with $5,742 available to bet with this week. And, uh, you know, guest hosts get to spend fake bankroll money too. So, uh, Adam, you're up first. How would you like to allocate some of Gambleon's Monopoly money? Well, I love spending fake money. Uh <laughs> Let's start with, uh, you know, I'm going to do tennis, obviously, because I'm me. So uh, the U.S. Open is the next major. Uh, We got a little bit of a break. It's coming up in, uh, I guess, I guess not too long. I guess I think it starts around the end of August. Yeah, Yeah, because usually usually the final is the same as the first NFL Sunday. I usually end up having to uh, decide between watching the U.S. Open (laughs) men's final and uh, the Sunday night football game the first week, which is kind of painful. But uh, that being said, uh, I'm taking uh, Daniil Medvedev to win at plus 700 on FanDuel for $30. Medvedev won this tournament two years ago, and actually I bet him for real money that year, two years ago. I was in Tennessee during the U.S. Open, and I bet it uh, at the beginning of the tournament and then got to do some, some other betting on the tournament during. And uh, my belief at the time was that was the year that Djokovic was uh, potentially winning the calendar slam. And uh, all the hype was around that. And I thought Medvedev was on the rise. He was, I think, plus 600 of that year. And I just, you know, I thought it was a good number. I thought he had a decent chance to beat him uh, in an individual five-set match. And Medvedev continues to impress me, particularly on hard courts. Uh, he's a very strong, very competitive player. He's tough. He's already won this tournament. I think he's being kind of ignored a little bit right now because Alcaraz has been on the rise and Djokovic continues to do what Djokovic does. But I kind of like Medvedev as a as a one in seven shot here. So uh, that's my first bet. Okay, I, I like it, and I, yeah, I think I remember when you had that bet two weeks ago. I or two years ago, I should say. I uh, I may have asked you for some uh, a a bankroll bet I could do on the U.S. Open that year, and I feel like. I feel like at your with your advice, uh, we ended up winning some uh, some fake money on on Medvedev as yes. well. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, since I am on a, a mini roll with boxing, my first bets will be boxing bets. Um, one that I put in the outline, and actually an additional one that I'm throwing in that I spotted just before our recording. Uh, I'll start with some relatively mainstream names. Let's parlay Jake Paul to beat Nate Diaz by KO TKO or DQ with Amanda Serrano to beat Heather Hardy by KO, TKO, or DQ. Uh, My reasoning, Paul has had his way in boxing matches against over-the-hill MMA fighters. He has punching power. He's apparently a lot bigger than Nate Diaz. I'm very confident that Paul, who's about a minus 400 favorite, will win, and I'm fairly confident he'll win by knockout. And then uh, Serrano versus Hardy, it's an unnecessary rematch to a fight Serrano won by wide decision four years ago. Serrano's like a minus 1600 favorite. There's no chance she loses this fight, but it's a toss-up whether it's KO or decision. Hardy is 41 years old now. Serrano is still maybe the best female 
boxer on the planet. So I, I lean toward the KO. So I'm, I'm parlaying the two KOs together. Gives us a plus 225 bet. So we'll do 60 bucks to win 135 on that. And then uh, just quickly, I noticed uh, the main event of Friday's Showbox card has Eridson Garcia, a plus 180 underdog against Jordan White. And I think this fight is basically a 50-50 toss-up. So let's do a half unit, 50 bucks to win 90 on Garcia to win. And I'm sure these are all names of fighters you're very familiar with, Adam. Yeah, I was I was going to comment. Uh, I feel like probably some of my tennis talk is like this for some of our audience. <laughs> but um, yeah, like you, you could easily just be completely making up all of those names <laughs> and lines and fights. And I would have no idea and would just be like, yeah, I think that too. That makes sense. So, I assume um, you I assume <laughs> you at least know who Jake Paul is. I do know who Jake Paul is. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, so my second bet, uh, going right back to the U.S. Open, but on the women's side, mm-hmm. um, and this is this is less of a long shot, but a number that I really really liked when I saw it yesterday on Caesar's Sportsbook, um, Iga Swiatek, uh, who will be the uh, the shortest odds player, but still at plus 250 mm-hmm. for $50 to win the U.S. Open. Uh, Swiatek uh, has already won this tournament, and she's uh, she is the best player on the women's side, no doubt. Uh, the gap between her and uh, the rest of the field is not as great as it often is between, say, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal over the years and, and other players on the men's side. But uh, she is the dominant player on the women's side right now. There's no one on her level. And uh, I, I just think that it's more like a coin flip that she's going to win it. And the okay. odds are plus 250. So I, uh, I really like that one. I think that's the one that has the best chance to win of anything I'm betting today. <laughs> okay. And hopefully uh, it makes me at least break even on, uh, on fake money. Okay, I think I think I may have to bet that in real life if you're feeling like she should be <laughs> close, close to a coin flip to win and you're getting plus 250. Who can say no to that? Um, I like it. So uh, NFL football starts tonight, uh, Adam. Are, are you excited? NFL football. Oh, my God. It's, uh, yeah, uh, the preseason, right? That's I was, right. Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, tonight. Yeah, Hall, Hall of Fame <laughs> game, <laughs> clearly. Uh, it's Jets and Browns. No Aaron Rodgers, no Deshaun Watson. Um, I, I don't actually love betting preseason. It's all kind of unpredictable, unless you're betting on the Ravens to win a preseason game. That's about the only thing that is predictable. Um, but um, I don't mind doing a small bet at big plus money, kind of no harm if it fails. Uh, maybe my sharpest bet on last year's Super Bowl, um, and uh, this was done in part as an emotional hedge, but I had a nice win on a bet on the Eagles to lead at halftime and the Chiefs to win the game, which, uh, thanks to an absurd defensive holding call that prevented the world from ever finding out which team deserved to win, the bet cashed. Um, So uh, taking the same approach on this game, the Jets will have Zach Wilson playing in the first half, we expect. Uh, Otherwise, pretty anonymous quarterbacks for both teams all game. And as much as Zach Wilson stunk last year, he should be better and certainly more experienced uh, in the NFL than, than the other quarterbacks who are getting into this game. So we can bet on the Jets to lead at halftime, but the Browns to win the game at plus 750 odds. Will it win? Probably not. Uh, is that a good price on it? Yeah, I, I think it is. So small bet, 20 bucks to win 150 on the Hall of Fame game. Man, this is some crazy to Jen stuff, Eric, but I like it. <laughs> I, 
I mean, I just, I'm not even able to think like that. I got another friend, I uh, actually works with us as well uh, up in Pennsylvania, who's always texting me these bets. He's like, yeah, I took this guy to win the first set of this tennis match or the second <laughs> half of the game. And everything. Right. I'm just, my brain's not capable of thinking like this, but I applaud those who can. So, okay. <laughs> uh, no, that that's a fun one. Um, I didn't even realize the Hall of Fame game was tonight, but uh, yeah, I'm not get with it. Sure it's that, NFL season uh, is here. I'm not entirely sure that, you know, quote unquote, whoever's playing quarterback for the Browns is, is uh, necessarily worse than Deshaun Watson, at least what we saw last year. I'm obviously expecting Watson to be better than yes. what we saw last year because that was pretty horrible. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Right. But yeah, I, I tend to agree. Zach Wilson, you know, when he's not chasing around older women, he's uh, <laughs> he's not like as bad as the third string quarterback for most teams. Right. Uh so uh, my last bet is, is going to be a baseball bet, um, and it's also a future. So uh, I figure since I'm not going to be hosting the show next week, I don't need to bet anything that then you can you can uh, rag on me for losing <laughs> next week. Smart. But uh, my my last bet is is really just a fun, enjoyable one for me, just because it's not something that I would ever have made any other year, pretty much. But I would bet this in real life. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles to win the World Series at plus 1200 mm-hmm. on FanDuel for $25. Uh, I, I have a couple fun nuggets around this. So first of all, Brandon Hyde, the manager of Baltimore, awesome. Uh, he got ejected in a game in July while up 14 runs. The team was winning 14-0, and he got ejected. Uh, this is a Major League Baseball record. No manager has ever gotten ejected <laughs> from a game where his team was winning by 14 or more runs. So way to go, Brandon Hyde. You're awesome. Uh, they recently acquired Jack Flaherty at the uh, trade deadline. Uh, he's a really good pitcher. He's mm-hmm. you know he's had better years maybe earlier in his career, but I think I think he's potentially a really good add for them. Uh, the bullpen's been pretty good, which is really important in the postseason. And particularly their closer, Felix Bautista, has been just unbelievable this season. Uh, they're they're a fun team. They're playing a, a team game. They don't have any players that have like a 950 OPS or anything like that. They're just they're scoring more runs than the opponents. And they've been doing it all year. They've had a winning record every month. They went 17-9 and nine in July. Uh, Cedric Mullins, probably their best offensive player, is going to be back in mid-August or so. Uh, Adley Rushman is living up to all the hype. Uh, this team has been great. They they have a shot. Uh, in baseball, you know, it's just kind of like the NBA in some ways. you got multiple rounds of playoffs with multiple games in each round, and the odds of any team winning any particular game are never, like, you know, really crazy high. Right. So, uh, you know, it's it's a long shot bet, but I kind of like this one to, you know, come in at least 10% of the time or so, and it'll be a fun one to sweat if they go deep. So yeah. Baltimore Orioles to win the World Series, 25 bucks. All right, and would win 300 if it uh, delivers. And uh, yeah, that's uh, it, it is a fun bet. They're, they are the fun team that like, if your personal team that you love is not in the hunt, you have to be rooting for the Orioles or, and, or whenever your team gets eliminated from the playoffs, I feel like they are, they are the team that every neutral baseball fan should be wanting to see do well this postseason. <laughs> it's just a great story. Well, it's going to be hard for me, you know, if, if they play the Braves in the world series, because, you know, I'm a Braves fan and right. uh, I, 
I'd have to weigh my fanship of the Braves against the 300 fake dollars we could win here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not not a not a serious test, but it's not you don't have to worry about it cuz the Phillies are going to eliminate the Braves again. So don't worry about that. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I too will finish with a baseball bet. Um I wanted to do something on today's Phillies Marlins game, but there there's no chance this podcast gets posted before that game starts at 12:10 Eastern. So uh, I instead I'll do a night game. Um I haven't done any first five innings bets this year. I'm looking at Pirates at Brewers. We have Mitch Keller for the Pirates. He started the season great, but has slipped a lot. He had a 6.28 ERA in July. And for the Brewers, it's Adrian Hauser, who had a 5.66 ERA in July. The over-under on runs in the first five innings, uh, basically while the starters are in there, is four and a half. There's minus 118 juice on the over. We shall pay it. Uh, $118 to win 100 over four and a half runs in the first five. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to this week's guest, Dave Sharapan. You can find me on the website formerly known as Twitter at Eric Raskin and Adam at Adam Loeb Small and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Adam, you get to do the honors. Please take us out. Awesome. Well, I don't want to take too long because you just made me think maybe I can uh, hop in the car and be at that Phillies Marlins game at 12 o'clock. It's about <laughs> 30 minutes from where I'm sitting okay. in our Fort yes. Lauderdale office right now. Uh, but no, I just I, I guess I'll say a couple things real quick. Uh, first of all, it's been an honor to be a co-host. Uh, I think I am, you know, not definitely not in the top two hosts of uh, Gamble On uh, or, or co-hosts of Gamble On. I'm certainly no John Brennan and I'm no Jeff Edelstein, uh, but it's fun to fun to fill in and to uh, get to take part in this show. Uh, like I said before, I used to co-host a podcast. It's been years, but it's it's really fun to be on. And uh, I've, I've actually been in this industry now since 2004. Mm-hmm. I launched my first site, Pocket Fives, in 2005, uh, but I was working on that from the middle of 2004 on. Uh, I was a poker guy, then I became a casino guy, then I became a sports betting guy, and I'm just, I'm kind of into all of it. But it's it's been so fun and so wild and so crazy, uh, you know, to go from the offshore days to the regulated days and to, you know, kind of go through the, the phases of my own life, starting as a you know 23-year-old kid that just liked to stay up till 6 a.m. playing $5 poker tournaments online or whatever, to uh, a guy in my 40s with three kids living in Florida. And uh, it's just, it's been awesome to be part of this this whole time. And uh I just I hope that uh, I hope I get to stay in it to see more and to co-host this show sometime again in the future or come on as a guest again. And thanks. Thanks so much for allowing me the privilege. And uh, as Jeff always says at the end, gamble on.